This is a message from the Art Intelligence Agency. Welcome to AI Agents, a program that explores the intersections of innovation and artificial intelligence. This podcast is brought to you by a collaboration between the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and the C.F. Fowler Institute at the University of Adelaide. Join our host, Tim Whiffen, in conversation with creatives, academics, and professionals in exploring how human and artificial intelligence can collaborate in divergent ideas for our future. The study of art history brings with it questions of identifying and classifying genres, styles, and interpretations, all providing an understanding of art at a sophisticated level. With the emergence of AI within artistic spaces, it has drawn contemporary art historians to consider how aesthetics play into the analytical mind of a machine processing art. With the new aesthetic and the blending of virtual and real worlds in artistic language, we have a lot of creative potential, and we're only starting to see what that can look like. Professor Marion Mazzoni is the Chair of Art History at the College of Charleston in South Carolina and an expert in computational art history. She joined the Art Intelligence Agency to provide some insight into how we classify and analyse AI in art. I am joined today at the Art Intelligence Agency by Agent Marianne Mazzoni. Thank you for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, Marianne, I'd love if you could please start with a brief explanation of your research interests. Well, I'm an art historian and I'm trained especially in modern and contemporary art. And so I cover those fields in my teaching uh, as an art history professor. Uh, In terms of my research, I work and write primarily on contemporary art. And more specifically, I do a fair amount of work writing about artists who work with computation in a variety of ways, uh, and especially AI or artificial intelligence, which Mm. is why I am here. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's great to have. It's an interesting perspective, I imagine, because... Typically, I would imagine an art historian uh, not necessarily has a conservative view of art, but would have a strict sense of what art is in the sense that of what it has been and what it is now is probably quite different to what it has been. Would you agree with that? Oh, certainly. But on the other hand, since I'm a specialist in contemporary art, um, that's exactly some of what I deal with all the time anyway, right, mm-hmm. is, is contemporary art as it is unlike or like previous art. And so- so I'm already you know, prone to be thinking about that in a larger sense. And so uh, it's not entirely surprising, I don't think, that contemporary artists would be interested in working with technology, since technology mm. is so much a part of our contemporary world. So why would artists not want to be working with technology, be interested in technology, and also, very important for artists, be questioning technology. So mm. um, that that is, in a sense, what led me to, to study it, is that I saw art being interested in that. I thought, well, this is something I need to better understand. Really, the, 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 the challenge for an art historian like me is not that we have a, a conservative way of thinking about art per se, it's the difference in how we're trained. So as an art historian, I have virtually no education or background in mathematics or computer science, right? You know, certainly, you know, not after your undergraduate kind of required courses. So Uh, For me to understand this work, I thought it was important that I really try to get a handle on the computer science and Mm. and the math to the degree I can. Um, And that meant that I really had to do some intensive reading and studying for a number of years to try to get a handle on it. 
Uh, and so most of my art historian colleagues don't have that kind of specialized knowledge. Why mm. would they, right? Flip side, most computer scientists have very little knowledge of art and haven't been trained uh, the way that an art historian would be. Again, it makes sense. And of course, our educational institutions encourage this kind of division in the way that we're trained. So, mm. you know, once you start and decide that you're going to be in the arts or humanities, you go on a certain track. And once you decide you're going to be in science and math, you go on a certain track in your studies. And very seldom are you encouraged to deviate from that track or go over to the other track, right? You're not encouraged. And in fact, it sometimes will prevent you from graduating on time and other things like this. So institutional bias comes in as well. So that was the challenge I really faced uh, in trying to work with this material is understand um, the computer science aspects and to really understand what is artificial intelligence and, and, and how does one write an algorithm and these sorts of things. Oh, interesting dynamic then, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced. Have you found that there are like quite creative elements in computer science that maybe you didn't expect uh, as someone who started at least in, in the art side of things? Oh, oh, absolutely. Certainly. Absolutely. And, I, and, and, and so whenever I hear someone say something like, you know, the computer just does what it, you tell it to do and it's dumb. And to a degree, I understand where that's coming from. But I think some, some people also push that to the sense that the computer can only do what a, a certain specific human being tells it to do at one time. And that's it, right? It's as mm -hmm. if that's the end of the equation. And, and that's not quite true either. Uh, and so the subtleties kind of get lost. Um, uh, and when you don't know what you don't know, you fear as well. And so uh, the other aspect you run into is amongst well, artists sometimes and art historians also a fear of technology because they've read too much science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly and, a danger and, in that field. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, no, no knock on science fiction. It's just, but that, you know, that's not, that's not what computer science is. And so those fears can make you believe that things are different than they really are are of course and so <laughs> on the other hand it's it's complicated challenging material to wrap your head around so this has also affected artists who try to work with this material right? big big step up in terms of of understanding this material working with mm. whether you consider it a tool or medium or whatever mm. yeah it requires a, a large technical kind of understanding but equally it's it's also really expanded your field i mean the ideas of aesthetics have surely must change how how has ai and art assisted in understanding art even or creativity has, has it has it changed the way we understand art and creativity or has it can we understand ai then through our, our understanding of art and creativity kind of the, the do we use the creativity lens to understand ai or do we use the ai lens to understand creativity Oh, well, both. And that's a huge mm. question. I mean, both of those things are valid and each is a huge area in and of itself. Mm. This is the way I kind of think about it. And, and maybe it's a limited and, and simplistic way, but it's where I am. So <laughs> um, <laughs> the reason to use AI or to think about AI in this field is not because we want to change art or change what artists do or you know, radicalize, you know, that's, we're not trying to overturn what art has been. It, it's mm. not that, okay? Art, an artist can choose to use AI or not, 
I mean, it's mm. far, you know, please, artists can make paintings, they can make sculpture, they can do photography, they can do printmaking, they can use AI. So on one hand, let's think of it this way. It's an option that an artist may choose. And so I don't see this as going to be changing the field of art so fundamentally that that everyone is going in the future is going to be making art with AI or that it's going to change how you know most people walking around think about what art is. This is another kind of art mm. like this. This is so mm. I, I kind of conceive of at this point anyway. Mm. Something radically radical would have to happen for me to believe differently, at least at this point. So what I know right now, right? Now, why is this interesting to someone like me? So I, you know, again, I, I, to some degree, I'm interested in the artists who use AI, absolutely. Contemporary artists using AI who are interested in it, who want to, mm. good, good. And I'm interested in why they want to, how they do it and, and how that works out. Then there's 95% of the art world who won't use it and doesn't, and that's okay too. Then there's also from the computer science side, a very interesting aspect, which is, why would we do AI with art is because we're trying to model the process of creativity, number one. And number two is creativity as a human does that, alike or not like how a machine does creativity, mm. okay? So those things increasingly have become more interesting to me. And I think this is the effect of my computer science colleagues rubbing off on me because those are, those are really interesting, I think, philosophical questions. So how do we define creativity, which is all, already a very complicated philosophical question. Yeah. But then if we are going to use computation and algorithms, then that, that requires us to think about a model, right? We have to propose a model. We have to think about a process, how we're going to implement a process, design and implement the process of creativity. And then what do we do with the output? Um, mm. Is this something we recognize as a creative act? Notice how the human being gets to be the judge at the end, at least right now still, right? So as, as I've, I've written elsewhere, I mean, the, the human being is always the, the, the one at the end, the audience gets to choose what is art. Right? This mm. is something that contemporary art is already established, right? The audience has a say in what gets to be art and what doesn't, right? So um, let's remember we always have that power. And so when, it, when we ask an AI to be creative, and I say ask, not like we're talking to it, but that we propose that it's, as its problem, all right? <laughs> we want, you know, the, the problem, the task that is given to the machine is to be creative, mm. okay? Well, then we have to have a way of, of formulating that somehow. What, what, what will be the mathematical formula for creativity? What will be the process steps for creativity? Mm. And this is part of the interesting work that me and my colleague, and, and particularly the colleague I work with at, at Rutgers University of Computer Science, Ahmed El-Gamal, this is the direction that our partnership has, has really, I think, sparked in both of us an interest in these kinds of creativity questions, right? Not just art questions, but also in, in a kind of higher sense creativity questions. Another thing that I find interesting about this work for an art historian is that it allows a way, a process, a means by which to interact with, categorize, sort, and somehow discern larger patterns through many, many, many works of art across very large time periods. 
I mean, the thing about the machine is that it can process an incredible amount of information very quickly, far more than any human being can, right? Um, and so as an art historian, if I'm interested, and I am, uh, in trying to discern pattern across very large areas and time periods of our history, like I, we wrote a, a paper on this issue of style, right? How do you understand style? And how does machine detect style? Well, one of, the, one of the many things that we found out about that is that the machine can actually, and it does, sort tens of thousands of images in chronological order, wow. stylistically. How we would understand that is correct chrono chronological order, right? You put your Renaissance things before your Baroque things. You put your Impressionist things before your abstract things, right? Okay, you can do that. <laughs> Good. I mean, that's in and of itself, that's that's interesting from a computer scientist's point of view. Art historians, uh, we say, oh, well, that, you know, that's kind of that, well, that's cute. But of course, we can do that too. So I don't need the machine to tell me <laughs> that an impressionist painting is an impressionist painting and that that impressionist painting was before Warhol. I don't need the machine to tell me that. So uh, from an art history point of view, that's not so interesting. But I am interested in how the machine does that. How does the machine know that, right? What does it? see, and, and I'm using those heavy air quotes, because it does, as I always tell my students, the machine doesn't have eyeballs. So we, we can't think of it like it's seeing something. So what is it detecting? What is it detecting in those images that can help it successfully match styles and put style in chronological order? And so it's that pattern capturing ability that I find really interesting. And I, and I think long-term that a number of art historians will find interesting ways to use that aspect of of this technology raises really, a very long really... answer to your question i'm sorry yeah no no that was fantastic it covered a lot of ground it's an interesting it raises interesting questions about whether whether an, an analytical approach takes creativity out of it because i i'm i'm unsure that those things are necessarily opposed um, that actually creates a, a, an interesting tension where you can kind of have something that is very analytical and very creative at the same time. And we tend to, because humans love binaries, put those two things as if they're complete opposites. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a strange dichotomy there. But an interesting thread that we found on the podcast so far, just to take it to a different area, is how you know theorists or, or artists will describe AI in their work. So you know, you've said some may use AI as a tool. I'm sure you say this as well, but then other some artists may even say that AI has been a collaborator on their work. Uh, is is there any connection between these titles and the extent to which AI has been used in a in an in an artistic process? Is there a connection or is there some kind of is there some kind of metric that we can use to to de help define those terms better or is it really just up to the artist's interpretation of how how that interaction plays out? Well, of course, first the artist makes the choice about how they wish to do this. And mm. then on the other side of the flip side of that, then then we sit in 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 judgment or at least we analyze what they've done, right? And for me, one of the things I'm going to look for is when I'm making that determination, are you using it simply as a tool? Or are you thinking about it and using it as a collaborator or, or like a medium? How am I going to figure that out, you know, as a viewer and, and as an art historian? One thing I want to know is, are you using already existing software? So in a sense, there's a difference between an artist who has written their own kind of algorithm, their own software to do what they want to do versus someone who's using someone else's. And it's not that that's a, 
a lesser activity, it's a different one. And because the next thing I'm going to look at is, well, how much have you done with that software, right? So in a sense, have you curated on the front end or the back end in an interesting way? So how have you made your choices about your data? What data you're going to put into your system? Um, and then how much, to what degree do you interfere in that system once it's processing, right? So do you go in and cut in the middle of the, of the neural network? Do you take some things out and leave some things in, right? So you can do a lot of fiddling in the middle, in the black box area, right? And then when it comes out the other end, you of course have many choices to make about what you keep and what you don't keep and whether you put it back in the front end again and start all over. Um, so there are all those variations that I can consider when I'm, when I'm thinking about what you've done or analyzing what you've done as an artist. And then of course, then there's that kind to what I consider an artist who's working more on the medium level where they are either writing their own software, they're writing their own neural networks. They can go in and mathematically tweak things to get results that the intentional results or, you know, various ones, you know, you can, you can either think of it as kind of a, um, I, you know, I want randomness or I, I want to really, you know, do X, Y, and Z and try to do that. Uh, there aren't many artists who are working on that level because it, it's difficult. It's difficult to write these algorithms to make neural networks, right? You need mathematics, high degree. You need computer science, high degree understanding. And then you need the computing power to do this. So that makes for a very small audience of people who can do that, right? There are a few, but... Uh, most artists who are doing AI are down on that simpler end where I'm using some kind of prepackaged software and maybe I make a tweet or tweak or two or I take something off GitHub and I, you know, I mess with it a little, et cetera, et cetera. This is partly too an issue of how difficult this technology is. And so uh, to really do high level work, either you have to be someone who just has the skill set to do this which is, as I said, a very small number of people. Or, which is, I think, going to be more and more common, you have to have a team of people. So you have to have, uh, you know, an engineer. Maybe you'd like to have an engineer to figure out, well, how are we going to print or create the work out on a physical substrate somehow? You need to have a computer scientist or two. You know, you need, you need, so you need specialties, right? And then as a team, as a collaborative effort, uh, we're going to create this work. That, so that's that level of sophistication is needed. Right? Mm. right now, we have a lot of people who are doing very mm, simple things like, you know, running a simple GAN, throw in a bunch of portrait paintings at the front end, and you get something that comes out the other end that sort of looks like a twisted around portrait that Francis Bacon made, right? Mm. Early days. <laughs> yeah yeah early days and it, it'll get better it'll get more sophisticated as we go forward and as artists get better at using the tools this is all very new let you know let's not forget i mean this is all very new technology yeah yeah in the big scheme of things as a historian let us you know let me remind you of this very true i mean even if we were to consider it as technology that has been made accessible to artists that is a very new advent so that that too right artists couldn't wow well, what well, the first work done like this with making images was in the 1960s so this is yeah. not so very long ago 
And then secondly, Gans are what, five, six years old? Yeah, exactly. So, yes. You know, right. This is, you know, just like it happened yesterday, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so we've <laughs> talked to artists who've used Gans on the podcast before, and I certainly heard that term before. One thing that I came across in one of your papers was uh, a CAN or a creative adversarial network, which is, uh, again brings up this idea of how aesthetics or uh, are implemented in 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 numbers almost right so what what kind of differentiates a, a can a creative adversarial network from a gan a generative adversarial network yeah mm -hmm. well uh, it's it's sort of a, a refinement on on that model of the gan because the gan is is tasked with doing with creating or generate let me use the word generating because i think it brings with it less baggage right so the the gan is generating something that matches or that fits the desirable outcome, right? And the task is to get better at that. So it's a kind of a comp competitive kind of model, right? Mm. So you ask it to do X and it generates results. And each one of those results is judged. Are you closer to X? Or are you further away from X? Then we try again, we, we try again, and we try again, right? So it's that kind of iterative with CAN, and again, this is my computer science colleague, El Gamal at, at Rutgers, who, who developed this, because I'm not the computer scientist. Let me underscore that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I understand, but I'm not the one that, that did the work. The idea is not to just have it get closer to X, but actually to say, we want you to get kind of close to X, but not so close that you match, because we don't want repetition and we want you to kind of get a little bit away from x we're asking it to to deviate a little bit that's the creative so rather than just generate what is wanted desired expected x we want you to do something that's in the neighborhood of x but also has something a little bit different so that it's a little creative right it's yeah, innovative yes exactly yeah innovative is how I would say that. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you shouldn't apologize speaking differently than me. Why, why, why would that be? <laughs> yes, so innovation. Right? Yes, yes, to get yeah, back to yeah. well, So yes, I, innovation. And and that's, I mean, that's a tricky thing, right? How do you, how do you, um, you need a mathematical formula. So what's that going to be, right? What's going to be the mathematical formula for innovation? And that's, mm. that's where we came in with a theory we, we used two things. One was Colin Martindale. The Clockwork Muse is the name of his book, Clockwork Muse. He comes out of a background of uh, philosophy, I think. He's not an art historian, he's not a computer scientist. And he, and he wrote this several decades ago now. Wow, okay. But his, his book, and it was really, he did heavy lifting, hard work before you know computing was readily accessible to scholars as it is now where he was trying to figure out, well, what is it that we desire when we say we want style change and we want innovation, we want something new in our art? What does that mean exactly? And he looked at music, literature, and visual art. And so he, he, find, he tried to find that sweet spot where, okay, we want a little bit of something new, but not too much. If it's too much, we reject, okay? So it can't be too much new. It cannot be too much innovation because then people reject it. So there's a sweet spot there somewhere where it's new enough that it's innovative and interesting and everybody goes, ooh, look at that. But it's not so different that we reject it. 
Mm -hmm. So he's trying to find that sweet spot. And he came up with a way of kind of trying to articulate what that is. Wow. And the, and the other, um, the more mathematical piece that we, that we found was, um, a, again, a psychologist, I think in this case, named Berline, B-E-R-L-Y-N-E, where he came up with a kind of more mathematical way of thinking, plotting, you know, where that sweet spot is, where the, the human brain will respond to something, not negatively, but positively, even though it's something it's mainly has not encountered uh, frequently. So mixing those things together, we try to, you know, we try to come up with a formula for, okay, innovation is a little bit of change, but not too much. Fascinating. That's what we asked the machine. Okay. So mm. give us, we're going to give you a whole bunch of painting, you know, many tens of thousands of paintings. So we want you to learn. Okay. Uh, I always think of this sort of like an artist would learn, show me lots and lots and lots of work. And I might even copy it. But eventually I have to make my own, right? So that's that's the critical moment. So we've shown you many, 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 many things. Now, if it was again, we just ask you to make rep rep repetition of what we've already shown you, which many people have done and can do. You know, you can you can write a, a program that will make me a Rembrandt, right? It isn't a Rembrandt that already exists, but it looks like one, right? So make me a Rembrandt. We don't want it to do that. We said okay, we've, we've shown you many artists like Rembrandt, Durer, you know, Michelangelo, Monet, Andy Warhol, right? Mm -hmm. All of it. Now we say, okay, now make us an image, but it can't repeat any of the ones you've seen, and, but it sort of looks like some of them. And that's what the can does. Wow. Well, look, I'm going to put you in that awful position of having to do some um, heavy lifting about what the future will, <laughs> will hold, <laughs> you know, with a, but, you know, because, you know, we can only kind of make, you know, decent predictions about the future with a firm grasp of history. And that's what you've got. So yeah. uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask, you know, um, if, if you feel comfortable, um, if you can make it an educated guess about where AI's involvement in art is, is going to take us. I mean, right now on the podcast, we've kind of said that it's a, a form of intelligence intelligence augmentation do you think that maybe it will eventually just be uh, an independent intelligence in this art space oh i i think that's so far away that i'm not going to worry about that I, I i think that's really far away yet i mean most people who are a lot smarter than i am and who spend a lot more time with with ai than i do say that we're really at a crude early stage and all of this talk about an independent mining and you know, this is way 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 out there and it's it's nowhere near close to us so i'm not going to worry about that right now. i don't think in in my lifetime and nor do i think we have any particular reason to want independent AI being an artist. I, we have plenty of human beings for that. So I, you know, I'm not sure why we would want that. I, I think it's more, certainly in our immediate future, more interesting and relevant that we're going to have artists who are working in more sophisticated ways with AI as we go forward. And that it really, the working, that process of working is really going to change how they work too. So it's going to affect the human artist. So I'm interested in that kind of feedback loop that goes between each, right? And so I think as more human artists work with AI, this is also going to change their work. And I'm interested to see that, okay? And I think it's going to make us at least think about, if we're not ready to expand, but at least make us think about and have hard conversations about what it is to be creative. 
what it is to make something that's interesting to look at. I mean, that, that you know, wanders into aesthetics, which is not my field, right? I'm not a philosopher. So making something interesting and desirable to look at, yeah, well, okay, what exactly does that mean? And, and where is that? Where are the boundaries of that? And I think AI will, will make us have very productive conversations about that. And as I said, I think somewhere at the top, I, I think it's very important to me as an art historian that artists are involved in technology, that they are working with AI because we don't want to leave that to the technocrats and the bureaucrats, right? We, we really want artists to be involved in this world because we want artists to be asking hard questions. We want artists to be pushing boundaries. We want artists perhaps perhaps to be critical and throw a wrench in every once in a while yeah. so that that we're really aware of what's happening. That's that's part of the role of the artist, I think, and a very important one is, is to be paying attention to what's going on in the world and drawing our attention to it. Mm. And so that's what I think is going to be happening, at, at least in the next you know several decades, at least as long as I will still be around. And the, the rest I will leave, you know, for the future people to worry about. Oh, well, I, no, I think that's a that, that's a, a fantastic contribution, a fantastic estimation. <laughs> well, I, I have to thank you uh, very much for joining me to discuss these fascinating topics, uh, Agent. Uh, oh, I always love talking about it with with everyone and anyone, so I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I have listened to a number of your other podcasts, and so that was very interesting to me. I love John McCormick's work. I've, I love his work, and I've been following it for years. I, I teach his work in my new media class, and so it was, I really enjoyed uh, hearing him as well. So I'm happy to be included in this company, and I hope uh, what I said was useful or interesting to someone somewhere. You can find more of Marion's work discussing a machine's understanding of art by following the links in the episode description. Marion has collaborated with many other experts to produce some truly fascinating cross-disciplinary work in this field. Thanks for listening to AI Agents. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher and consider giving it a review. Do not forget that you can share this episode with other intelligent people and things, but for now, it is time to close the pod bay doors, Hal.